baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. He's a two-time statewide official and his agency is perhaps Illinois government's biggest employer. His work touches every driver in the state, many businesses, and anyone who uses a public library. This weekend, we catch up with Illinois Secretary of State Alexi Janulius. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Alexei Janulius is Illinois' 38th Secretary of State. He was sworn in in January of this year, but this is his second go-round in statewide office. He was elected state treasurer in 2006 and was then, at age 30, the youngest state treasurer in the nation. In between that job and his current one, he chaired the state's community college system, was a senior director at Mellon Wealth Management, taught at Northwestern University, and was appointed to the Chicago Public Library's Board of Directors, a perfect predecessor to his current job. He was also head of his own venture capital firm. This past week, the Lincoln Forum and the Union League Club presented a forum on the services and initiatives of the Secretary of State's office, and there are a lot of them. I had the honor of moderating that event. I began the conversation asking the Secretary about the services he's best known for, working with Illinois motorists, and after thanking his hosts, he took it from there. And I'm excited to talk about the office because, to me, this is the, the greatest job in government, and I think... And I will answer the question. Um, people think of the Secretary of State as you know, someone who issues driver's license and IDs, and we are focused on that, but it does so much more than that. And I think one of the things we've tried to do, being in office now nine months, is to really educate people on some of the 25 different departments we have. Business services, anyone who wants to start a business comes to our office in Illinois, whether it's an S-Corp or an LLC, so how can we fix that? We have a securities division, which goes after white-collar criminals, corporate criminals. We are the state archivist. We are uh, the state librarian. We are in charge of organ tissue donor programs, 7.5 million donors, the largest in the country. So I could go on and on, but it's a great job because every single day presents a different challenge, a different opportunity. And I love Jesse White. He's a friend. I actually, I was at a random restaurant with my family in Northbrook, Illinois last night, and he sat right next to us, which is like crazy. Um, he's done a great job, but we have really been focused on modernizing the office, bringing new technology to the office, and completely revamping the way that the Secretary of State has conducted business. Which gets me to the answer of, of your question. As I was campaigning for this office, and during the transition period, we would travel the state and talk to people about their biggest concerns, their biggest headaches, and unequivocally everyone said 
Uh, I love Jesse White, but the lines are too long. The lines are too long. The lines are too long. And we visited a number of facilities during the transition period. And I remember we were um, at a facility on the nor on, in the northern suburbs, and I saw a gentleman walking with a novel. And he sat down, and I remember just going to talk to him. I introduced myself, and I said, well, why are you bringing a book? He said, everyone brings a book because it might take an hour, it might take two hours. And that image stuck with me um, very strongly. So I said, we have to figure this out. We started looking at what other states were doing. We started looking at the way people conduct their everyday lives, their businesses. When I schedule an appointment with a dentist, I have to schedule an appointment. If I want to get a haircut, I schedule an appointment. Almost everything we do today requires an appointment. We thought this is our best way of um, making sure people don't have to wait in line anymore. It's transformational. Uh, we started a pilot program, and then on September 1, we opened it up full-time so that you have to schedule an appointment in order to get your license renewed or get a new driver's license. Uh, it's worked very well. Um, you know, there are some people um, that I think are so used to going to the DMV that it's taken a little longer, but what we've done is, you know, added a phone line so people can call and make an appointment. We've got tablets our facilities. For those seniors who don't want to uh, go online, we opened for the first time ever two seniors-only facility, one in Evanston on the north side and one in uh, Bridgeview on the southwest side. So we want to make sure that we take care of our seniors, that we make the process as easy as possible. I could not be more proud of the rollout, but again, this is something that, that takes time. And you know, don't forget, people are used to going to the facilities, I'm sure most of you are, for decades and decades. So now to convince people that they have to schedule an appointment when they do it, uh, it works great. But this is just one part of our, the first and most important part of our uh, modernization plan. And uh, I do want to talk a little bit about that because the, uh, the seniors only uh, centers um, was an adjustment that you made. And, and uh, you know, obviously you were hearing complaints from seniors about that. Uh, what other that and other kinds of things are you having to do to bridge what you know we always call the technology gap where there are just people who aren't connected who aren't able to uh, go online or and in some cases even have trouble waiting however long it might take on the phone to get an appointment so um, you know we always in intended to open senior centers because we have so many people who so much, such a large percentage of folks who need driver's tests are seniors, right? If you're like me, 47, and I have a clean driving record, uh, which I do, you don't have to go in for, uh, for 12 years, right? You don't have to go get your license renewed for 12 years. I think most people don't know that also. We're trying to educate people on don't go to the facility unless you have to. So we're trying to make, every, we're trying to eliminate the, the need for people to visit a facility, which is why we mail your vehicle sticker uh, you can do it with a QR code and pay it within three minutes. Um, if you don't have to go to a facility to get your license renewed, we put it in the mail for you. You go online. So that's the first cog of this is to, to convince people that they don't have to come in, which means that the people who come in are first-time drivers and seniors who have to go depending on their age every year, every other year. So we always knew we were going to do the senior center, senior centers. Um, we'd start them a little sooner than we thought we would. People absolutely love them. It's important that we save taxpayer dollars. So the one we have in Evanston uh, is free. We work with the city of Evanston. 
the one we have in Bridgeview, thanks to the mayor of Bridgeview at SeatGeek Stadium, that's also free. So we're trying to find ways to do more with less. Um, but it, you know, you're right. Some people, you know, some people are upset that that this hasn't that modern that appointment system hasn't started a long time ago. Some are still trying to get used to um, going online and booking an appointment. And since we're talking about seniors, you've also made some proposals about uh, seniors and driving. Uh, it's, a, it's a concern and handled differently. Uh, it's handled differently in different states. Uh, what are the things that you want to see as far as how long people should continue to drive or, or how long uh, they should go before they need to check in more often? So um, Illinois, in, in a good way, remains one of the strictest states when it comes to um, requiring seniors to take driving tests. The General Assembly tasked us uh, last year uh, or a couple years back to do a formal study on um, drivers up to the age of 79. And the truth of the matter is we looked at statistics, we looked at driving records, we looked at accident records. Uh, that cohort is actually one of the safest driving uh, groups. So we issued our, um, our report to the General Assembly and uh, changes were were continued to be made, and again, we want to make sure that you know, b being 74 uh, in the year 2023 is different than being 74 60 years ago. Right? Um, people have gotten um, better drivers they get as they get older. The technology has changed, data has changed. So, again, we want to focus on helping our seniors, making their lives easier, but also never, never forgetting our focus, which is keeping our roads safe. The last thing on auto technology that I want to ask about is we hear a lot of talk about um, digital license plates and talk about digital driver's licenses. First off, are those things looking practical and are they looking close? Uh, so great question. The digital, digital license, additional driver's license are two different. Digital driver's license, uh, it will happen and it will happen my guess is in the next few years. That's our goal. Other states are already doing it. Um, the state of Louisiana, for example, you have people have their driver's license on their phones. Uh, so we will get there. It's the wave of the future. It's the way people have their boarding passes, their other pieces of identification. You know, if you live in Arizona, your driver's license is on your Apple wallet. It makes things easier. You know, that's where, you know, that's where everything's headed. We want to make sure that it's optional, so people who want to have their driver's license in their wallet and you know they like having it, they will still have that. But I'm telling you, Craig, if you and I are are sitting here in 15 years, 95% of this room will have uh, digital driver's license, and probably sooner than that. Uh, same thing with IDs. As far as digital license plates, that's something that we've taken a look at. There's actually some very interesting technology happening on that front. I think that's much further away because there are a number of other issues, but that's another exciting piece of technology where you know you can have a digital driver's license when the car's off at night you can have advertisements it can bring the state revenue if your car gets stolen or carjacked it can flash red and make noises so a lot of companies are doing very compelling things again that one's way farther off you know the costs and there's some liability issues that haven't been figured out but again the world is changing and we're working hard um, 
to align with some of those changes. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue, and we're bringing you excerpts from a Union League Club and Lincoln Forum luncheon featuring Illinois Secretary of State Alexi Janulius. After spending some time on driver's services, I wanted to talk about one of the Secretary's other major functions, that of the state's chief librarian. He's made headlines in that role, spearheading passage of a state law that makes Illinois the first state in the nation to outlaw book bans. My background's important, and I always talk about my parents. They were both immigrants and when they came to this country they had nothing they didn't speak the language they had no money but they believed fundamentally that this is America represents a chance to educate your children and everything they ever did for me and my brothers was about education 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 reading books knowledge going to college and having uh, a chance to um, to create a life that they never could have achieved in their home countries so to us, growing up on the north side of Chicago, we always went to the Edgewater Library on uh, Broadway and Elmdale. And we loved it. We loved get, checking books out. We loved hanging out there. This is back in the days of like microfiche, and you can pull up different books and check now books, and when's your book due? And my parents, who were very strict, um, said no to everything. But when it came to books and education, it was always whatever you want, as many books as you want. They just loved seeing us reading and gaining knowledge. So fast forward to the year 2023, when, when we started seeing some of this book banning that was taking place, it was really heartbreaking to me for a number of reasons. Um, and we thought it's time to go on the offense. Uh, we, As a state's librarian, we put together a bill that says we will not, uh, libraries will not be allowed to ban books here in Illinois. If you do, you will not receive state grants. Well, it, we felt it was important to send a message. We were the first state in the nation to pass this bill. It was signed by the governor in June, and we've had other states reach out since. To me, uh, it was a win not just um, for our democracy, which is always allegedly supposed to be about freedom um, of speech, freedom to learn. It's a win for First Amendment right, rights, and it's a win for our kids and for our grandkids. And if you look at some of the underlying roots and causes of the book banning, uh, a lot of it is based on a certain type of book, and that to me is very alarming. The last point I'll say is that librarians have faced intimidation and threats of violence the likes of which they've never seen. So this was about standing up for democracy, standing up for our librarians, standing up for our children. We're still in this fight, but I could not be more proud to live in Illinois. I could not be more proud that we had the help of the General Assembly uh, to pass this bill. Obviously a popular idea, but let me play devil's advocate for a second here because the argument I hear from some people is as a parent, I have a right to decide what my child should and should not read and what they should be exposed to. And therefore, I should be able to tell my library I don't want these books on the shelf. That's the exact argument that we're making. So it's a horrible argument to make. I know you're not making it, but that's what our legislation does. Our point is, look, I have three young daughters, all under the age of eight. Obviously, there are some books that are not appropriate for my daughters to read, and my wife and I will make those decisions. But I could never fathom the idea of telling another group of parents to, 
to tell them what books their kids should and should not be reading. What we can allow is one or two individuals to determine the circulation of, uh, of a library for an entire community. That's fundamentally against what uh, our democracy is about and what our whole system is for. Our legislation does not require any book to be in a library. What our legislation says is librarians and library boards, which by the way, who have the professional experience, uh, the knowledge, the education, they have masters in library science, masters in library information science, they've been doing this for, you know, since the beginning of the library movement. We have to let librarians determine what books belong in circulation. It's not up to a single individual parent to make that decision. So th that argument to me uh, is actually our argument, which is trust your librarians and then trust parents uh, to make decisions about what books their kids should, should and should not be reading. And one more issue, and that's you mentioned the threats. Um, and frankly, as, a, as someone whose late mother worked in a library for many years, uh, you know, the idea of people threatening libraries because of the books that they have on the shelf is, is abhorrent. But I'm curious, have you gotten any threats because of the book ban legislation or the work that you're doing? Well, you know, part of being an elected official, unfortunately, these days, and this is a deeper issue, is, yeah, you get threats. Um, now, I used to also get threats when I was state treasurer. Now, and this is, again, a deeper issue, I think politics has become so toxic and so horrible um, that you, when you have three young kids, it becomes a lot more real. Um, I think people need to be able to have conversations without becoming extreme. Uh, I read this morning that people were throwing rocks through the, you know, the governor's home. Um, that stuff makes me sick to my stomach. The, the bomb threats uh, that are uh, closing our libraries, to your point, are abhorrent. Um, and I think that some, some level of civility hopefully comes back into play. Um, by the way, another issue that it occurred to me this morning, because when I was growing up, uh, libraries, sometimes homeless people would spend a decent amount of time in the libraries, mostly, mostly reading. But nevertheless, that was a, sh a shelter for them. Do we have uh, situations, especially now that we're dealing with the migrant crisis and people coming in, are our libraries now under more pressure to be a place of respite for people? Li libraries have always been a safe haven for so many people. And you know, we talk to librarians. We have 81 libraries uh, under the Chicago Public Library System. A lot of these libraries and librarians, which is why we have to, you know, really help them as much as possible, they are not just librarians. They are teachers. They are therapists. They provide a place of, of, of refuge and happiness. In a lot of these communities, the only safe place is their library. It's their only place that they're safe from violence and trouble. It's a place where they can learn. It's a place where parents can drop their kids off. Um, and the fact that, that, that our libraries, again, because of this book banning movement, have become cultural battlefields is heartbreaking to me. That they should be a place of refuge. They should be a place of, of learning and happiness. I, I took my daughters, um, my wife and I took our daughters to the Near North Library this weekend. And it was, it was like, 
incredible how passionate these librarians were, how helpful they were to our kids. Um, they played with them. There are different books. They have a costume party coming up. Last week I spoke at the library in the West Loop. You can uh, you know, use these rooms to, to, to record podcasts. There are learning centers. There's free internet. We do free tutoring um, for any kid who lives in the city of Chicago. You can do free resumes if you're looking to get a new job and you've never done a resume before. So we should be doing everything we can to, to encourage people to go to the libraries. The last point I'll make is you talk about homelessness and some of these other issues. We are living in a time where young people are dealing with levels of stress, anxiety, depression, suicide, isolation, the likes of which we've never seen. Books, especially in rural communities, I've been talking a lot about Chicago today, but in rural communities, they don't, there are, there are miles and miles of areas where there's no Wi-Fi, where they can't have access to a welcoming neighborhood or a place where they can go and share some of the challenges they're facing personally. Books are a way of opening up a world to them where they can see their view and their way of life reflected in someone else's story, gives them confidence, gives them some measure of comfort. And when I testified in front of the United States Senate Judiciary Committee, which by the way, if you're bored and you want some comic value, you should listen to Senator Kennedy uh, uh, reading some crazy stuff. Um, we should be encouraging people to read books and we should be doing everything we can to fight that isolation. So to me, this is a broader battle. I'm proud to, to fight it, but the fact that we have to have this conversation in the year 2023 is incredibly disconcerting. And, and you were polite enough to, uh, to skirt around it, but I think we have to establish that when we were talking about some of the things that are, people are banning books because of, the issues that most often come up are race, gender, and sexuality. Uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's what we're dealing with. But let's, let's, let's move on to, uh, to one other thing dealing with libraries, and that is expanding library access. And very quickly, I know you've also done some things uh, that are bringing libraries into some places where they haven't been before. Uh, yeah, so like I said, it's been a busy nine months. Last week we announced, you know, for the first time since the 1980s, we we're going to start finding ways to fund uh, some of these prison libraries. Um, you know, anything we can do to help reduce recidivism, to let people have, back to the point I was making earlier about my parents, giving people knowledge, letting them find connections to the outside world when they're incarcerated, are all things we should be doing. So we announced that uh, for our 28 state prisons, we're gonna uh, give $15,000 to each so that they can either create a library or build on their library. To me, was one of the biggest no-brainers, not just from a moral standpoint, where you're allowing people to have access to books and reading materials, but from a financial standpoint, um, you know, 43%, I forgot the numbers, 43% of uh, those who uh, are, are going to prison have already been in prison within the last year, right? So you reduce that just by a little bit uh, when it costs over $100,000 to house a prisoner in Illinois. Uh, these changes are, are monumental considering this first tranche of funding was $420,000. So we need to be continue to encourage uh, and improve our libraries and prisons. 
You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue, and we're bringing you excerpts from a Union League Club and Lincoln Forum luncheon featuring Illinois Secretary of State Alexi Janulius. We spoke about distracted driving and police traffic stops in our hour-long conversation and also spent some time discussing a lesser-known function of the Secretary of State's office, voting. Right. It's, it's remarkable. Distracted driving is uh, killing people in this country every minute. So we started looking at, you know, especially now in this day and age of FaceTime uh, and Zooming, we realized that there was no law that makes it illegal to Zoom um, while you're driving on the highway or to FaceTime, you know, your parents or your kids. We thought that was crazy. We passed legislation for the first time ever um, that, uh, require, that makes it illegal to Zoom or FaceTime while you're driving. We'd think it would have been a no-brainer. Apparently it was not. Um, anything we can do to make our roads safer. The other piece of that that's also important, speaking of laws that people don't really know about, um, there is a law in Illinois that, um, before we fixed it, that makes it illegal to hang anything from your rearview mirror. I don't know how many of you are, are aware of that. What we've discovered is that it was uh, very discriminatory. There's a lot of race, race just racist overtones. It was a, an opportunity for law enforcement to pull over people uh, in certain communities. So we passed a law uh, ending the, what we call the air freshener law. Um, so things like that, that we, we started looking at our, our, our legislative team, our executive team started looking at is how we can make our roads safer and more equitable. So there's more to come on those fronts. The other thing uh, maybe you don't know that uh, he also has something to do with voter registration. So to get Let's talk a little bit about that, of what things we can and can't do to get more people going to the polls and helping make our decisions. Yeah, so that's another component. You know, we are in charge of automatic voter registration here in Illinois. Again, I think about my parents, and when, when my parents became citizens, to me, not voting is crazy. Like, it was such a big deal um, to my parents. It was such an honor to vote. And we didn't even, I, I gotta be honest with you, I never knew it was an option not to vote, right? It was such a, a part of how we grew up. Um, I remember my, my father would dress us in a suit and tie just to go downstairs in the, uh, in the laundry room of the condo building we grew up in because he thought you had to dress up to vote, right? That, that's the sort of the immigrant mentality of like how important it is. So when we see people not voting and numbers to continue to dwindle, we wanna make sure we do everything we can within our purview to increase voter turnout. Um, so we passed legislation to pre-register 16 and 17 year olds uh, so that when they get their license, as soon as they turn 18, they're already registered. We don't want anyone to have an excuse that they, were, they did not know that they were registered to vote. Uh, you're gonna see more from us on this topic uh, because I think it's fundamentally important to our democracy. And, and I'm just telling you, people have to vote. They have to participate. I understand people's disgust with the political process. I understand it's getting worse, but staying home and not uh, being engaged is the downfall of every uh, every democracy. Well, you're you're talking to someone who grew up black and in the '60s, so uh, uh, voting was a was it never occurred to us. It wasn't just immigrants. <laughs> Believe me, if you, when I grew up, if you didn't vote, you were no one would talk to you. So, uh, uh, and you've given me the, uh, the other idea about, okay, some things you may be doing on voting, 
what other things are on the horizon? What are the next things that you want to do uh, to uh, move the office forward? Well, uh, I don't sleep a lot, so my mind is always racing on how we could be doing better, um, focusing on our securities division. Um, you know, we go after, like I said, corporate criminals, white-collar criminals. Uh, we went, we signed a settlement agreement with Carvana. We have a lawsuit against Coinbase. So we are working hard to take care of some of the most vulnerable who have been duped into Ponzi schemes and investment schemes. We have an entire legislative agenda that's that's coming up, and I want to step on our own message. Um, but there's a, a number of things on our libraries that we look that we're looking to improve on, and again, not keeping our eye off the prize, which is focusing on customer service. How do we make sure people have the best experience when they come to our facilities, when they need government services? And I ran an entire campaign on eliminating the time tax. Time tax is the, the tax that people pay just um, to access government services. And to me, it shouldn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Government should be about efficiency, should be about making people's lives easier and getting them in and out of uh, out the door and getting them um, their services as quickly as possible. So. It's only been nine months. I feel like I've been in this office for you know a decade sometimes, but we are we are not taking our foot off the gas pedal. I'd like to thank Secretary of State Alexei Janulius for speaking with me and the Union League Club and Lincoln Forum for hosting the conversation. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage, and you can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 1059 WBBM. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 